All right. Proverbs 21. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. He directs it like a watercourse wherever he pleases. All a man's ways seem right to him, but the Lord weighs the heart. To do what is right and just is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Anytime I'm one, anytime I think I have nothing to say right now, it's probably because I'm not taking in anything of substance or content. And so I either need to be reading not only the Bible, but also some kind of book that spurs thinking and thought process. And the phrase that has stuck with me over the last probably 10 years is the idea of stirring your affections for fill in the blank, whether that is stirring your affections for God, stirring your affections for your wife, for your family, for work, for life, for fill in the blank. It's one of those ways that you can quote, work your way into an emotion. Meaning if I do fill in the blank, it's going to make me feel like I'm more in love with X because I did that. So meaning if I read Shoe Dog by Phil Knight, which I read once a year, a minimum, I'm actually reading it again. I just finished and am doing that again this year. And that book stirs my affections for, oh, thanks. Appreciate you, Zoom. Zoom keeps cutting me in and out today. Something's going on. Don't know what it is. So picking back up, doing little quiet time segments is probably the wrong way to say this. Read Proverbs 21, 1 through 3, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. He directs it like a watercourse wherever he pleases. All a man's ways seem right to him, but the Lord weighs the heart. To do what is right and just is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. And so going back to what I was saying before, that idea of anytime I feel like I don't have any, even it's like the tank is empty when somebody's like, hey, what do you think about filling the blank? And I'm like, I got nothing. There have been times in my life when people have been like, man, you're quiet, like share what you got. And it's like, there's really nothing in there and because I haven't done a whole lot to, to feed into that. And so to one of two things is either happening. I haven't dealt with uh, sin appropriately and or I haven't been in taking anything of quality content that then helps me to kind of filter and just that's what's rolling through my mind in what I'm wrestling with or dealing with or thinking about or trying to find a solution to fill in the blank. So I don't have anything to say. So if I, if I'm not doing that, then I need to sit down and make sure that I'm spending time reading the scriptures, which if I'm doing that on a daily basis, I'm typically just reading Proverbs. Like it's uh, the 21st today. So I'm reading chapter 21 today. And that's what I'm wrestling with. And I don't typically go through like Genesis through revelation on a yearly basis or I just don't. And so I spent my twenties and early, early thirties studying the scriptures heavily cover to cover. That's what I did in school. And so an undergrad and two master's degrees, and then on the way into a PhD, like I, I did 10 years of that. Don't, do I know everything? No, absolutely not. Um, can you benefit from studying the entirety of scripture? Absolutely. I'm just saying I spent a decade doing that. And so what, when I'm keeping things basic and I need affection stirs. Like, man, I, I need to read something so that I walk away and I feel more in love with Jesus than I did 15 minutes before I did that. That's what Proverbs does. And it's, and it is a book of wisdom. And so dealing with all kinds of things when like, if you've got questions in business, you're going to find answers to at least principles in business and the way to do things correctly in Proverbs. 
Solomon was a very wise man and very successful in business. And so he, not that it's business 101, but at the same time, it's in there. There's relational wisdom in there. There is personal wisdom. There's like following Jesus wisdom. Uh, like when I'm sad, when I'm happy, when I'm mad, when I'm angry, when I'm scared, <clears throat> responses to those things are in Proverbs. And so anyways, today looking at the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. He directs it like a water course wherever he pleases. Obviously, that's in context of Solomon is writing. Solomon is a Jewish king who were God's people. And so at that point in time, it was very clear whoever is king is in place by God's choosing. His dad was David, who was hand-selected, who followed Saul David and Saul obviously weren't related. If you know that storyline, if you don't, Saul was the first king of Israel. They had a series of prophets who would lead, or priests, prophets, priests, who would lead the nation and uh, before Saul was Samuel. And so Samuel is the prophet slash priest who is leading the nation and the nation of Israel is like, Hey, we don't because, because the whole idea was like Yahweh is the King. And so the people said, Hey, we want a King like everybody else. And so God said, all right, Saul's it. And then he had a son named Jonathan. The normal succession would be Saul to Jonathan. Saul was disobedient to some things God had told him to do. And so God said, okay, we're going to remove the lineage from you and i'm going to hand it to david who i'm going to hand pick as a teenage boy who was shepherding sheep and killing lions and bears with his bare hands who then fought goliath who then served saul until saul died and then david took over it was a process of david taking over the whole kingdom and then david has a son his name is solomon david dies and solomon takes over and god came to him and said what do you want and he said i want wisdom and so god disposed dis disposed no imposed i don't know the word i'm looking for <laughs> he gave it to him gave him wisdom there's a d word that i want to use and i and i can't think of it so it gave him wisdom and then so here you have solomon wisest man given wisdom by god and he's now leading the nation and he's saying my heart is in the hand of god and he directs it like a water course wherever he pleases it's me water course meaning like it's where the water is running that's where it's going it's hard hard to move that and, and and then you know the power that water has and the path that it takes and then what it can do in terms of topography and things like that and the how it brings life how it brings destruction how it brings eroding of soil and land and also life and ability to grow and it does all kinds of great things and solomon is saying god has his hand on that. Now, it doesn't mean he always made the right decision because he didn't. Uh, verse two, though, all a man's ways seem right to him, but the Lord weighs the heart. And so not only is he saying my heart is in God's hand and he is directing it where he wants to, all men in what they are doing, it seems right to them. Now, I don't, I don't know that I would. Well, in general, I think this is probably an in general all man's ways seem right to him. Like when you're, do we know a lot of people? There are some, do we know a lot of people that would be like, man, what I'm doing is probably wrong or not, not just probably like I am, I am electively choosing to do what is wrong. 
even when you sit with some people who have done some things, there is typically an excuse or a, yeah, but I did it because, you know, fill in the blank or I'm doing this because fill in the blank or however, but he says like, so everything we do, we're thinking, man, this is right. But God weighs our heart in that. He, he knows where we are in that. He's obviously, we know that God sees those things. He sees, not only did he knit us together as Jeremiah is told in the beginning of that book, but God intimately knows our thoughts what drives it, the, the emotions we have, the reasons we have those things, the, me, for example, I'm getting, I'm running off trails. Sorry. I'm going to, I'm just going back here. Forget the example, burn the example. So Saul, Solomon is saying everything we do, we think is right. And at the same time, God knows where our heart is it knows our mo- he knows our motivation he knows what we're after he knows he knows that's a deep statement like there's nothing you can do that god does not know the intimacy of what drives that and the reason even when it's like man i may not even fully know that and then verse three to do what is right and just is more acceptable to the lord than sacrifice sacrifice was a big thing back then that was part of their daily worship yearly worship and if they had a structure and a system and detailed instructions on how they were going to do that with consistency and it was a big deal it was an important deal and it was part of how they were one part one piece of how they were separated from the rest of the world and it was like these this group of people is distinctly different and solomon says even back then doing what's right and just is a bigger deal than these detailed instructions of making sacrifices and which so it's a little bit different for us in terms like when we read that i think probably just in general in our culture we think oh making a sacrifice like maybe i gave some money or i spent some time or i did something that i felt a little bit um, so I've heard pastors talk before about during the giving month or, or the end of the year, or when they're in a building campaign, or there's something they're trying to accomplish when they're needing more money than just the normative budget flow for the year. They'll be talking about like, are you giving to where it hurts? Meaning like I'm noticing it. it, it what is that? Like if you make $30,000 a year, that may be 20 bucks a month. And you're feeling that going, man, we're between mortgage and taxes and gas now and car payments and insurance and health insurance and life insurance and savings. And if you have kids trying to take care of them, feed them, clothe them, have them in school, play sports, have the things they need for sports go to the doctor when they get, it's like, okay, yeah, I'm naming everything that everybody knows. But at the same time, that may be what that is. And it's like, golly. And then if you make 300,000, you may not, you may feel 20 grand. I don't know what it is. And, or you may feel 20, I'm not sure. Uh, But that being, Hey, okay. I think a lot of, at least in my mind is I think culturally I have to kind of move back and go, okay, wait a minute. Someone's living in a time when sacrifice was, a normative daily practice and here's how that looked and what they gave and what they took and what they would kill and burn and bleed and all those things. And then Solomon is saying, 
like what just doing what's right is is a like that pleases god and whether it is saying the right thing or helping the person that is in need or appropriately dealing with your sin rather than okay i'm going to write a check for 20 grand and give it to the church maybe just confess that you're addicted to porn and begin to deal with that it, solomon's like that's a that's a bigger deal that's more acceptable than the the other one to god and you know like what is right and just again going back to well if i don't know what's right and and not only that like god weighs the heart like what i think is right um proverbs 16 14 is that right nope nope maybe it's 14 yeah 14 12 sorry it's twice it's also in chapter 12 this verse is repeated uh chapter 12 Where is it at? Well, chapter 14, verse 12. There's a way that seems right to man, but the but in the end it leads to death. Oh, it is 16, 1625. There is a way that seems right to man, but in the end it leads to death. So both of those in chapter 14, chapter 16, Solomon writes twice, like we think we know what's right, and it actually is the opposite. It's wrong. Verse 2 of 21, all man's ways seem right to him, but the Lord weighs the heart. So this idea of like, do what's right, not according to what you feel, not according to what you think, not according to maybe what those around you in what our cultural, cultural setting says is right and just, but rather like, where do I get that? Okay, I've got to get rightness and justness from the unmovable source which is going to be the scriptures. If I don't know the scriptures, then I have to read them so that I know them. If I read them and I have questions about them, then I have to ask the questions to get the answers so that I will know what is right and just to be able to make those decisions so that I'm not in chapter 16, verse 25, walking down the way that seems right to man, but in the end, it leads to death and destruction. Like that's a bad thing. But we can also, I'd say like those who have trusted Jesus, the encouragement that we have that verse 20 or verse one, the king's heart, which you're not a king, I'm not a king, maybe you are a king that you're listening, if you are, congratulations. Um, but the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord, and he directs it like a water course wherever he pleases. If we are actively, not only in pursuit of our relationship with Jesus, but actively in conversation, listening, dealing with our sin, doing the things that God has called us to do, then I, then I think we can probably trust, or maybe not think, I know that we can trust that God is directing where we need direction. When we're out of line, God brings conviction, either through his word, his spirit, or his people, or maybe all three of those. Sometimes it's all three when we really need correction like that. And I mean, that's, that's one of the things that scripture does. That's second Timothy three sixteen. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for uh, 
God breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. That's what it does. So God's God used men to write down, hey, inspired by God, here we go. Genesis, the book of Revelation. You've got 40 plus different authors over yeah, multiple different continents over 1,500 years writing this story of historical all the way to prophetic, meaning forthtelling what's going to happen in the end. And Paul writes to Timothy and says, like, all of this is God-breathed, and it's useful not only for teaching what is right and just, but for rebuking, meaning, like, I'm telling you where you are wrong in terms of rightness and justness. I'm correcting you, like I'm showing you how to fix it, and then I'm training you to walk the way that Jesus said to walk around and also showed us how to walk around. And so what am I getting at today? Somebody asked me a question. Somebody asked me what books I thought were good for reading for the development of godly men and godly women, or better, men who knew what it meant to be a biblical or knew biblical manhood in women, in women or, or teenage girls, teenage boys, teenage girls, to read, to then learn about biblical manhood and womanhood. That took a really long time to say, I am sorry. The Bible, I think, is the best one to read for that. Like, if I have a question, like, what does a biblical man look like? Like, what do you mean by that? Okay, so a man who you would look at and say, what does a man look like according to the scriptures? Does he look like this? Is he wise? Does he get counsel from those who are wise? Is he willing to be told he is wrong, to admit that he's wrong, to say, I'm sorry, and then, and then take that? and then tr take the correction, and then actually do that. It, is he a strong person? I mean, not only in physicality, but pers like personality, in drive, in... That's, that's clear. It's, it's both. It's like Jesus was a strong dude. Uh, he was a carpenter. He's probably pretty jacked. Um, that doesn't mean they all were. Was Paul that way? I don't know. Paul said, uh, for physical discipline is worth some benefit. I assume maybe he worked out a little bit. I don't know. He made tents and he traveled around a lot. So the dude was like a constant traveling tent making hiker. Um, some of the disciples were fishermen and not like cast the line and were throwing out, you know, worms and fishing for bass or stripers or whatever. They're like throwing nets over and hauling up massive amounts of fish at times. Sometimes they were empty. So what, like, why are you talking about this? I, because I think there were a lot of people who could physically do a lot of things that were, that were godly people who followed Jesus. Now, it doesn't mean that you have to be super fit to do that or super strong to do that. I'm just saying one of the characteristics of somebody who follows Jesus from what the scriptures say seemed to be that. There's a, there's a manliness quality to that. Now, that doesn't mean that's all that it is, um, but there is an element of that, somebody who can protect and care for, uh, but who also has a gentle, empathetic, sympathetic side, who can also care for on that side of things. Jesus was clearly that as well, as he dealt with those who were sick, who were family members of those who had died, even those who had died, or like the little girl that they thought was dead, but she was actually asleep, and he woke her up, and it was a good, really kind fatherly may be the wrong word, but a very kind, like grown, strong man, tenderly dealing with a 
young female in a, in a, where like bringing her out of a sleep where they thought she was dead. Um, it, anyways, what am I getting? I got people texting me, things are dinging. So like, uh, back to that idea of like, where, where do we find that? The best place I found that just was in scripture. And of all the things I read, even the things I did read that had to do with manhood that were Christian based and even quote biblical based always felt just cheesy and kind of stupid and not, I'm mean, not bagging on, you know, Eldridge and raising the guys outside and I mean, that's, that was a cool book, but at the same time, I didn't walk away like golly, I've got a great handle on biblical manhood. It was just like, I don't know. It almost felt like Christian boy scouts um, kind of idea as opposed to just I don't, what I have found has just been, I'm reading the scriptures and that if I'm reading something and I'm looking for that answer, that's where I'm going to stay. If I'm wanting to have my affection stirred for God, for my family, for my wife, I know she's part of the family, but I mean like family unit or wife or life or business or work or sharing the gospel or those things, literally I read the Bible. And then there's some other books that I read that help with that, that aren't even Christian books. So Phil Knight, Shoe Dog, stirs my affections for business and life and my family. Kevin Hart's You Can't Make This Stuff Up, same thing. Um, and that guy cusses throughout that book. He knows the Bible. He quotes scripture in it. His mom was a strong believer and made him read his Bible. And so he did, even as a young man pursuing uh, comedy, that was a part of an agreement they made. And so he like, he, that dude knows the, knows the Bible. Um, a fighter by something Lewis, I can't remember his name, was a, he from England, but Irish lineage boxer, um, like a lightweight boxer, highly successful in the boxing arena, but not always. Another one of those books that just was like, God, come on, um, a book called The Third Door. I don't know if you've read that or not. If you haven't, all of those are listed. If you look at the bottom of the website and you're, if you're on stellofellow.com and you see like book recommendations, they're all listed in there. Somebody, somebody looked at it one time and they're like, are you kidding me? Your book recommendations on a, on your uh, Stella fellow or slash journal of a former pastor slash writing, blogging about faith, family, fashion, and fitness at the time it's evolved. And it, I don't really have my arms around any of it anymore, but as it anyway, so they looked at that in the record seriously right now, like this is everything you're throwing up here has to do with Jesus and faith and all that. And then you put Kevin Hart's biography on here. And I was like, yeah, it's, it, again, that idea of like, what stirs your affections for God, those things do that. Um, and I've talked about that before, like different things that kind of five different things that stir my affections and those kind of shift and change. They're not always the same. And I kind of, not kind of, I, I evaluate that as like there's seasons when you're like, man, I feel dry or feel empty, or I feel lonely, or I feel sad, or I don't feel maybe the way they do right now about this whole thing. And those are good things to reevaluate and go, okay, am I, am I doing those? Am I practicing those? Am I utilizing those when I need them? And if not, I need to do that again. So anyways, Proverbs 21, first three verses, the King's heart is in the hand of the Lord. He directs it like a water course, wherever he pleases, all man's ways seem right to him, but the Lord weighs the heart. 
to do what is right and just is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. We should be doing what is right, period. If we don't know what is right, we need to make sure that we're going back to the source of rightness and knowing that God knows the heart. He's weighing what we're doing, like keeping that in mind, going back to his source and his word of like, okay, what is right? And then trusting that we as believers are being directed, our hearts are being directed like a water course, even though, again, we're not kings. Uh, and it's specifically talking about that. I think it still carries the principle, though, uh, those who are intimately connected with Jesus can trust as, as, as long as we are healthily in that conversation, that we are pursuing the Lord. He is helping to, re- to direct those things when we're in need of direction. When we're out of line, he's going to bring the, the rebuke and the correction. When we're in line, I think he's going to bring the encouragement. If there happens to be something that he wants us to do outside of the normative, he's going to let us know that. So anyways, hope you have a great day. Thanks for listening. Catch you next time.